one of the things that I, I think that we're going to, in the month of January, spend some time talking about on Sundays uh, for a little bit, may even dip into February, and that's okay if it does. Um, you know, when you got born again, the Bible says you were transferred out of the domain of darkness. Now, you may not use the word domain a lot, but domain means control the lordship. It literally means the lordship of darkness. Now, when you're under the lordship of something, it means you're controlled by something. The scripture says before you were born again, you were following the course of this world, which is according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, that's, that's a strange title. That may sound like a villain in a video game. But what, the, what, what he's talking about, the prince of the power of the air, he's talking about the devil. And he says, before we were saved, we were following a course. And, and we all thought we were doing our own thing. Everybody thinks they're doing their own thing. But the truth was, you were on a path that was not laid out by God. It, in fact, was laid out by the other guy, the devil. I shouldn't even say the other guy because God and the devil are not equals. But it was a path that was laid out by the enemy. And, and you just thought you were doing your own thing. But, but what was driving you, what was pushing you forward, when, was not the things of God, but was this, this instinct to, to, to climb the ladder. And in order to climb the ladder, you had to step on some people. In order to get further, you had to make goals that did not line up with the kingdom of God. But when you were born again, you were rescued from that. You were rescued from that path. You were rescued from that control. And the Bible says you weren't just rescued from the domain of darkness. You were transferred into a kingdom. You were transferred into a kingdom. So there is no limbo here where you just got rescued and just got left by the side of the road. It says that you were rescued from darkness and you were transferred into the kingdom of his glorious son. Now that's really neat. That's awesome. Because what that means is I left one kingdom which was messed up, which was divided, which was crumbling, and I was rescued and transferred and given citizenship in a kingdom that will last, that is unshakable, that will stand. The kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? And so as that, as that happens, we have to know that it's an invisible kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is not... Now, it, it shows itself and it becomes visible as, as, it, as we live it out, as it, as it lives in us. And yet, it's a kingdom which is different from all the kingdoms of the world. The Bible says there will be a day when Jesus rules with a rod of iron. And in that day, the lion will lay down with the lamb. In that day, a child will stick its hands in the adder's nest and not be afraid. But until then, we're part of a, of a, of a, of a reality where the kingdom dwells in us, it dwells among us. And, and in that realm, he is our king, he is our Lord. He's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Now, you got to think about what he was preaching. You got to think about when he preached the kingdom of God, he began to preach things that seemed quite impossible, didn't he? I mean... The scripture says that the law was impossible. The law of Moses was impossible to live out. None of us could do it. And we, were all, we all fell short of it. We couldn't, we couldn't reach the standard that God set through, through the law of Moses. And yet when Jesus came along, he didn't say, here's the good news. Uh, you know, I, I, I made things tough for you, but, but let's just make things a little easier because you obviously can't live up to it. Jesus says, you've heard it said, 
that you need to love your brother. You need to love these people. But I say to you, you got to love your enemy. You got to pray for those who persecute you. He says things like, he says things like, yeah, Moses let you divorce because you had a hard heart. But here's what I say. And so it seems at first when you read like the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like Jesus is even stricter than the Old Testament. But he wasn't. You see moments when the woman who's caught in adultery comes to him. And where the law said she should have been stoned to death, he forgives her. He says, I don't condemn you. They don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see that paralytic that's lowered through the the roof, and he's paralyzed. He can't move. And Jesus doesn't just say you're healed. He says your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is showing us a whole different way of living. And so when he talks about the kingdom, he talks about a radical lifestyle that, that, that if you tried to do this on your own, you would fail at it over and over again. But what does he say? Jesus said this, I mean, well, let's, let's turn there. Open your Bibles right now, and, and we're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew for the most part. But before we do that, I'd like to just read you a verse uh, that came a little bit earlier. And um, let me find it here. Let's go to Mark 1. just going to read one verse here and then we'll go to our main uh, section in Matthew. But it says this, in, well, I'll read two verses. Matthew 1, or sorry, Mark 1, 14 says, now after Jesus, uh, John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Preaching the gospel of God. Here's the question. Because most of what we know about the gospel, we know from the epistles which came after the gospels. Uh, Most of what we preach is the gospel, I should say. We talk about the gospel being the cross and the resurrection. And that is the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of it. Even when Jesus was preaching, it was leading up to this reconciling God and man. The question is, if he's preaching the gospel, was he preaching, um, you know, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to be raised again. And, and you're all going to be saved through that. We know that he did tell his disciples that, but it probably wasn't what he was saying here. And yet the cross is still central to this whole thing. Because what Jesus came, when God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus demonstrated that concept of Emmanuel, God with us. And he, he showed them what it was like for a man to be right with God and a man to be filled with the Spirit of God and to walk with his disciples and give them the power and the authority to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, all of these things. And then in all of that, he begins to show them what it's like to be reconciled to God. And through the cross, he made that a reality. But here's what he says. It says he was preaching the gospel of God. Can anybody tell me what the gospel, what gospel means? What's, what's that word mean? It means the good news. Preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. What time are we talking about? The time leading up to this great moment where, where redemption had come to humanity. The time is fulfilled. All of this, all of this we've been waiting for since, since mankind fell through sin. And God promised us that he would rescue us. God promised us that a new covenant would come. God promised us that what we broke, he would fix. It says the time 
is fulfilled. It's here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that awesome? At hand means it's right here. It's right here. The kingdom of God is right here. A lot of times, to a lot of people, when we talk, start talking about the kingdom of God is here, that could be a scary thing to the people of the time. Because that might mean, you know, he's going he's gonna to start taking over. He's going to start kicking doors down, and there might be fireballs and things like that. But instead, Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God. It says the kingdom of God is at end. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, that's, that's such a, a fascinating verse. Repent. How many of you, when you hear the word repent, just get filled with butterflies and rainbows? I mean, just the happiest words you've ever heard. Repent. Oh, yeah. Now, maybe you're so holy that that's the way you feel. Most of us, when we hear somebody say, repent, we go, oh, man, what do I do now? Uh, guess I should work up some tears. Repent means to turn. Repent literally in the Greek means to change your mind. I believe in the scripture, repentance is demonstrated by a, a 180. It's demonstrated by a complete turn from something to something. But he doesn't say repent and start obeying the rules. doesn't say repent and get your act together. Now, when you repent, John said, there's got to be fruits with your repentance. He says, show me the fruits of your repentance. And you see that later, you know, on and on in the New Testament. You say you repented, show me. And yet here Jesus doesn't just say, repent and get your act together. He says, repent and believe. In what? In the good news, in the gospel. Because that repentance that would lead you into the kingdom is not like the repentance of the past. They couldn't just try their best to change. They couldn't just cry some tears at the altar and, and see if they could work it up. In order to enter the kingdom of God, you had to believe in the gospel. In order for you to enter the kingdom of God, you have to believe the gospel. You may ask yourself, because the gospel is mentioned as when Jesus is preaching, he says he preached the gospels. And then you see the, the Apostle Paul write out, it says this is the gospel that Jesus died and was resurrected for us. He reconciled, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And you might say, are they preaching two different things? But I think you'll find that they're preaching the same thing. As Jesus preached, it was before the cross. And yet what he was preaching was a reality that was coming with that covenant. As he held up on that last supper, he held up that cup. He says, this is the new covenant which I have given you with my blood. This is the new covenant. And he did something for us. So, so you see, as Jesus began to preach about the kingdom, he told parables like this. He told the parable of uh, two different kinds of guys. He told the parable of a tax collector who was messed up who was sinful, and he told the, he, 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 then he told the story of a man who thought he had his act together, was a Pharisee, was a very religious guy. And he says, the tax collector comes to the Lord, and he says, I, I, I'm so messed up. I, I, I've done nothing right. I've, I've, I've messed up my life. He said, you know, I know I'm unworthy. I know I, haven't, I know I haven't lived up to your standard. 
and this is me paraphrasing, but he's, you know, he's, he's crying out to God. He's, he's saying, I, I couldn't do it. I need you. The Bible says he lifted his eyes heavenward and began to say these things. And he's tearing his garments. He's, he's upset. And Jesus said that that man walked away justified. Justified means he was made right with God. And then you see the, the guy who was living, living a better life than that guy. He was less sinful. He was, he was more put together. And it says he goes and he goes, thank God I'm not like, I, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. So while this guy is lifting his eyes heavenward and saying, God, I need you. I've failed. I need you. This guy's looking inward and saying, hey, thank God I'm not like him. And it says only one of them walked away justified. So even Jesus, even before the cross, began to demonstrate a justification that didn't come from doing and saying all the right things, but it came from God alone. That is the gospel. So when we read about Jesus preaching the kingdom, we've got to understand that he is preaching what it's going to look like he is showing you a new way to live that is only going to be a reality when that when you are renewed and that holy spirit comes this is what it looks like do you think that the sermon on the mount was just for the period between the time he preached it and the time he died that that was that was its expiration date or do you think he was showing you this is what the kingdom's going to look like and this is what's going to happen with spirit-filled believers. What you can't do now, you will do then. Jesus showed us what it looked like to live. And when we look at Jesus' life, we go, that is so different from the way I think. That's so different from the way I walk. And he's saying, follow me. And, and just so you know, you could never do that on your own. I'm sending my spirit to you and everything I do he says he says greater things he says all the things I do greater things than these will you do because I'm going to my father and when I go to my father I'll send my spirit to you so as new covenant new creation believers there is a reality of the kingdom that's so different from the course of the world which we've been following before so the next few weeks we're going to talk about that Today, I'd like to talk about something that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 20. My hope is, during this period of time, we'll allow God to paint a whole new reality for us. I said this on New Year's Eve, and some of you were there, some of you weren't. But I I'm going to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I don't believe the world needs or is looking for a PG-rated version of what they already have. A nice, clean social club where it's basically the same as everything else. We just don't swear. We just don't get wasted. We don't sleep around. Do you really think that's what the world needs? The world needs people like Jesus. The world needs spirit-filled believers who are willing and able to walk out the gospel demonstrating it with the kingdom being preached and demonstrated. The Bible says this. This is such a powerful thought. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but it is a kingdom of power. 
So you can't just learn the kingdom and give all the right answers. That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. And every time Jesus talked about the kingdom, if you look at it and say, how can I do that? How can I achieve that? How can I accomplish that in my own self? You will fall on your face. But if you say, that's the gospel of the kingdom, I believe in the gospel. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. The, the spirit of God that said those words now lives in me. He's empowering me to live that out. And I'm going to put my full faith in him that as I walk that out, I'm walking by faith. And when you do that, God does what you can't do. He loves who you couldn't love. He gives you joy when you shouldn't feel the joy. He enables you to walk out the kingdom in a supernatural way. So wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be what God expects of us if we would all, as a group of people, just so radically, just, just, just lay down our idea of what life should be and pick up his idea of what life should be? How different would life look? How would the city change? God put us in this city. God put us in Lloydminster. Some of you aren't from Lloyd, but most of you are. God put us here. We're not just here because this is where we live and he needed a church here. We're here for this city. You're not just from this city. You're for this city. God sent us here for a reason. How would the city look if believers began to pick up the radical way of living that Jesus preached and did it not out of their own self, but did it by the Spirit of God? What does success look like in the kingdom of God? We've got to totally divest ourselves of our ideas and our notions of what success looks like. Because if the world is following a course laid out by the enemy, then our course is probably radically different. And your course is determined by your goal, right? If I said my goal is to get to Edmonton, then there's only a couple of courses we could take to get there that would be logical, right? If I say, I want to get to Edmonton, I'm not going to head east. I'm going to head west. That's just, that's just good thinking. But what if my destination changed? What if my end goal changed? What if I said, I'm not going to Edmonton, I'm going to Saskatoon? My path would be radically different. The, one of the reasons our path is so radically different, here's what, we, here's what sometimes we think. We think that us and the world all have the same goal. God just showed us the right way to get there. But I would submit to you that we have a radically different goal. We're heading a different, we're not just heading a different way to get to the same place. We're going to a different place. Our goals are different. My goal is not to finish my life with the biggest bank account. I know that God will take care of me and he can fill that bank account. But that's not my goal. Whether or not it's got zero or a million really is not my goal. Now, my God supplies all my needs, and he'll supply my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Should he take that long to come back, he's going to supply their needs. And yet, that's not why I'm alive. That's just, that's, those are just, that's just paper. That's not why I'm here. You know, our goals are not, you know, to see how far up in the company. Our goal, I mean, I know this may kind of mess with some of our thoughts, but our goal is not even to run the civilization. Our goal 
is to be Jesus, to be a demonstration of him in this world, to glorify him. Our goal is to let the kingdom be a reality in us and around us and to go wherever he sends us saying the kingdom of God has come near to you, demonstrating and preaching the kingdom of God. So here's what he says in Matthew chapter 20. Our goals are so different. Sometimes what we try to do is we try to achieve the same goals, but we just use our spiritual talk or spiritual means to get there. And we think we've cleaned up, you know, we've cleaned it up. We think we've redeemed the goal. And in fact, what we've done is we've just used more spiritually words, but we've done the same thing. You know, if, if, you're, if you're in the world, you, you want to be at the top. You want to be the one that's bossing everybody around. When you got brought into the kingdom of God, that may not be the top of the ladder. The one that bosses everybody around may not be the guy that gets the most reward in heaven. There's a haunting section in 1 Corinthians 3 where the Apostle Paul describes ministry. And he says that there'll be a group of people that stand before the Lord who are born again. And it says that they will have built all of these things. But it says because they did not build it on the right foundation or with the right material, they will find that they, their work, all their work that they built did not stand the test of fire. And in the end, he says, it'll all be burnt up. They themselves will be saved as though through fire. Thank God but all their work is burned. It's a great thing to be saved. It's a great thing to not have to go to hell. But you know that's not your only goal here. Not just get your ticket punched, go to heaven. God didn't just put, I mean, if that were the goal, then the moment you said, yeah, I believe, thank you, Jesus. I mean, the moment you got saved, he just raptured you so you didn't mess it up too bad. He left you on the planet. There's more than just going to heaven. There's a purpose here in life. You've been redeemed for something. So when I stand before Jesus, I'd like to have something to show. Now, the Bible says he'll give crowns based on some things you did. Based on some things that you accomplished. It says there'll be a time where we all take off our crowns and cast them at his feet, because no matter what we did, it's not, it's not anything compared to who he is. And yet, I don't want to stand there and see all my work burned up, because I thought I was building something big. And you know what? In the world, it seemed big, but when all time was done and I stood before Jesus, it didn't count for anything. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, there's all sorts of things we could do. We give all our money to the poor. If we did it without love, it counts for nothing. So, there's a lot of things you can accomplish in this world that look big. But we've got to know there's another kingdom at work here. What's going to count in heaven? What's counting to God? Matthew chapter 20. If we had the time, we'd read the whole chapter because... Matthew 20 starts out with the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You know, in the world, it says, the more time you put in, the more you get. But in this, uh, this parable, he talks about a group of people 
some that get hired early in the day, some that get hired in the midday, and some that get hired at the end of the day, and they all get the same reward, and they're mad about it. And he says, you agreed to that reward. What business is it of yours if this person gets the same as you? But then in verse 20 of chapter 20, some things have happened. He's about to go up to Jerusalem. You know what that means, right? The fact that he's about to go up to Jerusalem means this whole thing's about to end. The end is near. It's time to start jockeying for position. He's starting talking about the end of the world. He's talking about death and resurrection. And, uh, you know, somebody's mom's been paying attention. In verse 20, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, so Zeb's wife comes up. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. These are grown men. They're following Jesus. And yet mom, mom is not content with letting these guys, they're just, they're just going to let this opportunity pass them by. Not my boys. She grabs them. She brings them to Jesus. Can you imagine that? How embarrassed you are, Uncle. But mom, not in front of the guys. You be quiet. Come on. Came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. He said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command. Oh, my. She went from making a request to, you know, command. You, you, you command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. That's a big ask. That's a big request. And she's just like, well, you know what? The reason these seats haven't been filled is because nobody thought to ask before. But I'm going to do it. Because if they're sitting at the sides of Jesus, whose mom's going to get first, you know, first place in line? I, 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 this is a good thing. Blessed am I above most of the other women because my boys are sitting in the seat of authority. So anytime I need something, I say, James, ask Jesus about uh, right there. Would you, just, would you just put in a good word? Put a bug in his ear. Command that in your kingdom. He's been talking about a kingdom to come. Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, yeah, we're able. Which is just a really dumb answer because you don't even know what the cup looks like. You don't know what's in it. You don't know what it tastes like. You don't know what it's going to cost. They said, we're able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. Oh, that's good news. He said, yeah, you'll drink that cup. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, it's a frightening thing to read this verse and realize there was something above Jesus' pay grade. He says, it's not my decision. That's the Father's decision. Then he says, it says, in hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. You, yeah, you think, right? The other ten are like, hey, wait a minute, not cool. We all promised we wouldn't bring that up until he was dead. We all said we, weren't, we were going to do this democratic. We said we were going to roll the dice. I don't know what they thought. But they're kind of upset, you know, because most of us are we're kind of cool with the way things are until somebody else starts jockeying for position, until somebody else tries to push their way in. That's like everybody's, you know, waiting patiently in line, and there's that, there's that mom that comes up and brings her two boys to the front of the line because they have to go to the bathroom. 
You know how you always feel when that happens. And they bring, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World or any of those uh, theme parks, but you ever, you ever see somebody get brought to the front of the line that you just don't think deserves to be there? And you've been standing in the sun. They used to have these little, um, these little fans that would spray water at the same time. And I remember being at Six Flags over Texas and roasting and feeling like, feeling like this couldn't possibly be worth it, but I knew, I, I trusted in faith that it was going to be worth it. And we're spraying myself with this thing. And then you see some kid, and I don't know if he had money, He's not in a wheelchair. He seems fine, and he gets brought to the front of the line, and there's, there's some reason he got to cut in front of everybody else. You were putting up with life. You were dealing with it until that person tries to cut in line. That's the way the 10 feel. All of a sudden, they're, they're okay with each other, and then two people try to push to the front of the line, and all of a sudden, we got a, we got a battle here. Not everybody's getting along. They became indignant with the two brothers in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. You have to understand that when Jesus speaks of the Gentiles, he's speaking of people without covenant. He's talking about the world. He's talking about the rest of the world. Jesus said things like, I mean, whenever he talks about it, he's not just talking about non-Jews. I know that's the strictest term, Gentile, but he's really talking about the people without God. Because even in the New Testament, the word Gentile is used not just, I mean, at first it's used for the Christians that aren't Jewish, but then it begins to be used for people that don't know God that are outside of the covenant. It says things like this, you don't sue your brothers in the Lord. He says that's how the Gentiles do things. That's not how we do things. Jesus said the Gentiles are always seeking these things. They're always worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. He says the Gentiles eagerly desire these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. So when he speaks of the Gentiles, he's talking about a group of people that don't know God. He says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They lord over them the fact that they're the rulers. They love to be in control. He says, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. That's a huge sentence right there. It's not this way among you. You should pay attention to all the times that Jesus begins to do this. He shows them the reality of the way things are. Then he says, it's not that way with you. A lot of times he says things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Some might say this, but this is what I say. Then he says, this is what the Gentiles do, but not you. And I'm brought back to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians when it says that I am no longer. He, the Apostle Paul chastises the church and says, you're acting like babies. You're acting like mere men. And that's an insult. And that's a rebuke to act like everybody else. It's not you. The whole world acts this way, but not you. 
This is what we're talking about this year. This is what we're talking about right now, is that we've got to live in a reality that says, the rest of the world may think this way, but not me. I'm redeemed. I'm set apart. I am justified by faith and grace. I am different. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got the life of God in me. I don't live like everyone else lives. The Gentiles live that way, but not me. The Gentiles seek those things, but not me. The Gentiles exercise authority that way, but not me. You've got to say that. I'm different. I'm different and I embrace it. I'm different because he lives in me and I'm part of a different kingdom now. That's why the Apostle Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. There are things where you say the rest of the world may do that, but not me. Because I'm living for a different purpose. They're all headed to Edmonton while I'm heading to Saskatoon. They live in a two-dimensional world. I have been redeemed and put into a 3D world where everything is different. Thank God it's kind of like that. It's like we were living in a two-dimensional world. And God dwelled in a different dimension, a different reality. And a 3D God took on a two-dimensional body and showed us what it looked like, but then opened our eyes to a whole world we didn't see. It's almost like, I mean, everything's been flipped upside down. He says, this is what the Gentiles do, but it is not so with you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what the kingdom looks like. If you want to be big in the kingdom, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a servant of all. You have to be a slave. That's a radical thought. The ones that are getting the ones that are getting the crowns, the ones that are uh, important in the kingdom of God, are the ones that lay their lives down as Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said: The Son of Man. When he says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, right? He says, Jesus did not come to be served. Now, if anybody had the right to be served, it's Jesus. If anybody had the right to boss everybody around, it's Jesus. You might say he did. But Jesus could very well have set up a nice earthly kingdom, had everybody wait hand and foot on him, had been treated like a king, but instead he came to serve. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He says, anybody who wants to be great in my kingdom has to follow that example. I'm reminded of what Peter wrote fact, you know what, let's read it. Let's open our Bibles to another place. We won't take much longer, but I'd just like to read you this, and it's something that we've read so many times. Many of you might be able to quote it by memory. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Logan knows this by memory, doesn't he? Did you know Logan memorized 1 Peter? That's pretty cool. Anyways. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Actually, you know what? Verse 6. 
For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those that are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's a big one, right? Because we all know how to be hospitable until it gets annoying. And then we'll, we'll think we're serving the Lord because we're still being hospitable, but we're grumbling about it consistently. And we're talking to everybody about how big of a hardship it is, but it says be hospitable without complaint. As each one has received a special gift. In other words, a unique gift. Does everybody in the, in the building today, do you qualify as each one? Do you qualify in that group? Each one? That means everybody, right? Each one has received a gift. Employ it. We know how to, you employers know how to, you know, employ, right? You use it. You put it to work. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Employ it in serving one another. Now, here's the problem. There's also a solution to the problem, so don't worry. But here's the problem. A lot of times what we'll do is we will come into the kingdom of God and we'll realize everything's different and we'll get excited about that, but then we forget that everything's different. And so we've come into the kingdom of God and we, we say, well, we're different, that my life is different, everything's different, but you have the same sort of goals. You still want to work your way up the ladder to get to the top. But now we've put fancy you know, special titles and things, and, and we do it in, in a way that seems spiritual, so getting to the top seems like a good thing, but here's the deal. A lot of times we'll come in, and if you don't get that, that worldliness out of you, what you'll do is you'll try to use the gifts that God gave you to get yourself to the top of the ladder instead of giving the, letting the gifts that God gave you serve one another in love. That's what they were created for. The gift that God gave you is not to elevate you above everyone else is not to dominate everyone else. It's not to control everyone else. The gift that God gave you is to build up the body of Christ, is to serve the body. And if that gift's not you being used in serving one another, it's being abused. Because what you're doing is you're using a spiritual thing in a natural way. And don't be surprised if before long it yields bad fruit instead of good fruit, and it just isn't what it used to be. Now, the gifts of God are always good, and they're without repentance, which means he doesn't take them back. It's an odd thing, but I've seen people walking in the genuine gifts of the Lord in a bad way. God is faithful. I've seen people lay hands on the sick and they recover, and this person's got, you know, just messed up life because God's merciful. He loves the sick person. He loves the sick person enough to use that person to, to see that person walk and be made whole. But it doesn't, you know, those gifts don't, don't automatically mean that you're doing everything right. Use these gifts in serving one another. We've got to change. We've got to move the goalposts here. We've got to change our destination, change our goal in life. Our goal is to be great in this kingdom. Our goal is to pursue his kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to become a servant to all. 
The top of the ladder are the ones holding the rest of it. You know, the, the guys that are at the top are really the guys and the, and the women that are holding the rest of them up, that are building the rest of them up. This changes everything. And when he says this, that we would be good stewards of the manifold. Manifold means it covers everything. It's all shapes, it's all colors. It looks different in every situation. The manifold grace of God. I want you to think about what that means. As citizens of the kingdom of God, you are part of, a, of an unshakable kingdom. You are, just like the disciples, sent out with authority of the kingdom, to preach the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom. And as you do, in order to be good stewards of that grace of God which has been entrusted to you, know that the gifts that have been given to us have been given for the purpose of serving. Does anybody else get nervous when Jesus uses the word slave? And we know he meant it because in the sentence before, he used the word servant. So you know he, he wants to make a distinction there. He doesn't say servant twice. Some translations say servant twice, but if you look it up in the original language, he said one word the first sentence, he said another word the second sentence, and the other word means slave. And we go, I'm not a slave anymore. Jesus set me free. I don't have to do that anymore. But here's the deal. You've been set free from the slavery of the evil one. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. You've been set free from the slavery that, that, that had control of you, the slavery of the fear of death. But now you've been redeemed, set free, born again. And the Bible says that you submit yourself and you surrender your will as a slave would to his master. You are free. The Bible says that God does not treat you as a slave. He treats you as a son, as a daughter in him. He doesn't treat you with, with slaves' rights. He treats you as his kids. And yet we submit our will as a slave would be. If we want to be great in this kingdom, we've got to be more like a servant, more like a slave to everyone else. That doesn't sound fun until you realize that Jesus never told you to do that on your own. He showed you how to do it. Jesus was the example. He showed us what it looked like. You know those times where he wanted to go off and rest and people just followed him around? And it says that he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know those times where he could have just stayed home and relaxed in his house, but instead he has to travel around and say things like the foxes have their holes and Birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's not because he couldn't, he didn't have a house at where he lived. It was just because he's traveling all the time, and he had to depend on the kindness of strangers. And he had 11 house guests that traveled with him. <laughs> what would it look like if we woke up to a new kingdom? You already are part of it. You're already a citizen. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Repent. Repent from what? Repent from the way of the world. Turn from the way we used to do things. Change your mind about what's important in life. Change your mind about what's important. What's the big deal? Repent and believe. And here's, here's the fun part. Believe the good news. It's good news. If, if Jesus was just setting stricter standards for you, it would not be good news. 
Believe the gospel. The gospel is this, that what you can't do, he can do. What you can't be, he is. What you could never let you, the things that you could never even imagine yourself being, he already is, and he wants to do those things in you. It says in the next few verses of what we just read that the one who serves is to serve in the strength that God provides. Now that's cool. Sometimes we imagine like a good Christian life is like a grape. Like an olive that's just squeezed till there's nothing left and then we're just tossed out. But that's not what it is. Jesus described you as a branch connected to the vine. And there's a constant flow of life. You're not being squeezed until you're dry. You are being, you're tapped into the vine. And there was always life out of the vine. It says in Jeremiah that you are like a tree that's planted by a stream whose roots, whose roots extend to the stream of God. And there is always water for you. And there's always life for you. And so if you serve in the strength that he gives, you'll never get burnt out. Because maybe you've got a picture of somebody you thought was a great servant of the Lord. And they, they just gave and gave and gave until they were burnt out. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And I know, I know I admire people like that. But there is a better way to live. And that is to tap into the life of God. So that you're not just good for a little bit and then thrown out. But instead, you are sustained in His strength. You are sustained in his grace. This is not by your ability. This is not by your will. This is not by your power. Not by might nor by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. This is how you were created to live. And every time you serve the body, and every time you serve the city, and every time you serve in the strength that God gives, his strength is abundant in you. His grace is more than enough for you. His life flows through you. And you find yourself doing things you could never do. But you must crucify your will and put it on the cross and say, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. If I should be exalted, it's because I humbled myself at the hand of the hand of God and he lifted me up. And if he lifts me up, I stay up. But if I lift myself up, I will get knocked down. So I will humble myself. I will lower myself under his hand and he'll pick me up and lift me up. I will have the attitude in myself, which was also in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. Became obedient even to the point of death. Therefore, God exalted him highly. That at that name, and gave him a name, that at that name, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the deal. We're meant to have the same attitude as, as Jesus had. You empty yourself of ambition. Do you know there's godly ambition? It's just an ambition for a different cause. It's for his glory. It's for his kingdom. It's for his purpose. You empty yourself of your own ambitions. You empty yourself of your own idea of success. And you say, Lord, here I am. I have humbled myself under your hand. Because I know under your hand, you not only guard me, but you lift me. And when I'm lifted up by the hand of God, 
There's not a power in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that can knock you down. You're going to change the goalposts, guys. As we close up, I just want to put this in our, in the easiest, most plainest terms I can. What does this mean for us? If you've been given, and you have, there are gifts in you. There are things in you that God has placed there. You must continually resist the urge to use those to elevate yourself. Instead, employ them in serving one another in love. How can I serve the body of Christ with what God has given me? How can I become a servant? That's pretty easy once you ask yourself the question. How can I serve this person who doesn't deserve to be served? Because you've got to think, the people he says, he says the first will be last, the last will be first. So the people that appear to be the, the people that you're serving often don't deserve to be served. And yet you do it as unto Christ. How do I serve God? And I'm going to do it in the strength that he provides. I will not be burnt out. I will not be worn out. I have strength that comes from God. God didn't call you to something that's going to destroy you. God didn't call you to something that's going to ruin you. Depends on your definition of ruining, but God calls you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's called you for such a time as this. Amen? Radical way. But we're experiencing a new revolution again of the kingdom of God in our hearts and in our minds, that becomes the big thing in our life. Amen? Stand up together. Thank God. Let's submit this to God. Why don't I share something with you? Whatever, yo, you have been sharing stuff with us. But uh, whenever I read something in the Word or something's preached that makes me think a little bit different or challenges me to think differently. Sometimes there's the temptation to just kind of let it go and go numb. Here's what I find is the best thing. Would you just submit it to God? Sometimes you don't even have to fully understand what's, what you're thinking. You don't even fully have to understand what was said. You just have to say, okay, I, I'm willing. I want that. Then you give it to God and say, God, I want that. You let him work out the details of how that works. Because I know sometimes we rack our brain and go, how, how do I do that? How do I do that? Why don't we, the first thing you do is just say yes to God. Just say amen to his word, right? Let's just take a moment and submit our hearts to God. Father, we, we come to you as joyful sons and daughters. We're so thankful to be called to your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you've saved us, not by our work, but by your work. You've set us free. You've redeemed our life from the pit. You bought us back from the kingdom of darkness. You transferred us into the kingdom of your son. Lord, there are things that sometimes we just, <laughs> sometimes we just don't understand how to live out what you've called us to live. Sometimes it, it, it goes beyond our ability to comprehend, yet we know that you have called us. So Lord, right now we submit this to you. Would you 
We give you the, the place in our hearts and our lives to correct, to adjust, to make room, to prune. That we would be empowered to live out the kingdom in 2014 as you lived it out in the beginning. As you lived it out while you walked the earth. That we would live out your gospel. Not in our own strength, but in your grace and your power. Fill us, Lord, with an understanding that this life is not what we thought it was. But there is something far greater and far bigger than we've understood. We want that, Lord. I want more of you. I want more of your kingdom in my life. I want to be more caught up in who you are than I was last year. I want to be more wrapped up in you than I was in 2013. I want to be more involved and obsessed and, and just totally hidden in you than I've ever been. Lord, I know my brothers and sisters agree. We want to we just flip the switch and be more on fire and be more, uh, more full of life and more full of your strength and more full of your love than we've ever been. We know there's a city that needs it. We know there's a world that needs it. You've come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So fill us up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I just want to just share with you something that God did for me this just in the last two days. Because I made a decision, and it, uh, I think what Pastor Jonathan's preaching this morning is so important. Because as some of you know, uh, around Thanksgiving of last year, I, I had an uh, issue with my health. I was in the hospital for a, quite a while. And uh, then I was put on, I called it house arrest, where I was <laughs> supposed to just stay home and I said, and cancel all my meetings, do all that, and stay home. And I said, well, I will go to church. But I didn't do much more. I just stayed home, and I went to church. And then in December, things started getting a little bit busier, and I was doing a little bit more. But there were some things that were coming up, and, and I just was asking the Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Because I know in five weeks I'm going to be in Tanzania, Africa, at West Africa, and so I knew that, uh, you know, okay, you got to take care of your body. You got to, you got to be prepared. And a couple of days ago, I was before the Lord, and I, I, you know, I had lots of people telling me, you know, you better rest, you better take care of your body, you better know this. Well, I was saying the same thing to my own self. And a couple of days ago, I was just by myself, and I was before, you know, Lord, I, you just got to tell me what to do. I got. I need to know about this in January, my, my stuff I have planned for January. I don't know what to do. Do I stay home and take care of this body? And all of a sudden, I just had this revelation. This, I'm not of this kingdom. 
This is not my kingdom. I have never given my body this much attention. Is that true, Jonathan? I've never spent three months taking care of my body and giving it all the attention. You, and as some of you know, you've seen me in church, and I can't stand up for the whole praise and worship. I have to sit down, and I have to go sometimes go lay down. And You know that. You've seen that. Two days ago, I said, it was an awakening. Now, I know the word. I know, and I was speaking the word, and I was, you know, confessing the word. But at the same time, I was confessing, I need to rest. I can't do this. I can't do that. Because the doctor said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank God for the doctor. But I'm not of that kingdom. I have a greater kingdom. I have a greater life in me. So two days ago, I said, I'm sorry. I repented. I repented, Jonathan. And I turned and said, I, I've been living like the world. No, I hadn't been out, you know, at the club or anything, but that's, that's how the world lives. That's, that's how the world lives. I said, I've been living like just a mere man. I've been living like the world all this word in me, all the things I know, I have just been saying, well, I got to rest. I got to rest. I can't do that. I can't do that. Now, I know you're supposed to have wisdom, but I tell you, I, I took it to the ditch. And I repented and said, God, I don't know what got into me. I have not acted right. I have not spoken right. I have not acted right. And I will get before the church on Sunday and I will repent and say, I choose to live in his kingdom. Amen. I didn't know what Pastor Jonathan was going to preach today. But how can we be demonstrators of the power? How can we be demonstrators of the kingdom if we're not saying, I just, this is, this is how the world acts. That's not how I act. This is the emotions that the world gives into. I'm not of that kingdom. And so he, he took you to 1 Peter 4 today, and he was reading 7 through 10, and he talked about we were special gifts. The J.B. Phillips translation says, and I just brought it up here and I just it says serve serve one another with the particular gifts each of you as faithful dispensers of the magnificently varied grace of God serve one another with the particular gifts God has given each of you as faithful dispensers of the magnificently varied grace of God and I saw that like when he he turned to that and then I noticed in my Bible I had said read the Phillips and I pulled up the Phillips and I realized I'm a dispenser of God's grace but I gotta have the grace in me to do what I need to do and you all we all have the grace yeah. 
So it's got to work in us first before we can dispense it. Right. So if I'm going to be going to Tanzania and if I'm going to be preaching to ministers all over that nation and to different and villages and and to widows conferences and those things that are lined up for me to do, I better have it working here in Lloydminster. Because if I don't, then I have I have failed what God's called me to do. And I won't do that. But I repented and I'm just telling you that some of you might be finding yourself, because I know God said share this. Some of you might have just found that you have just been acting like mere people. When your emotions say, you, you know, I can't do that, and God says you can. Listen, we are not of this kingdom. We are of a greater kingdom. I am so excited, Jonathan, for a month of preaching on that. It, I think it might go further because I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. I'm hungry to live in the kingdom, to really live there, not talk about it, not act like it, and put on a good face on Sunday. But when I go home on Monday and it's really cold outside and, and snow needs shoveling and I don't feel so good, my body's saying, stop it, Brownie, then I need to pull myself up and know I have the grace to do what I'm called to do. And God will heal this body. Amen. And God will, God will do what he's always done. So make a decision. This is the first Sunday. I love the first Sunday of the year. Because to me, I mean with my offering, I give a good offering on the first Sunday. But I give, I do something in myself and say, this is how my year starts. I start my year saying, God, you get first place. I don't care if it's 50 below zero. I don't care. I'm going to be in church because this is your place. You guys made a decision today. Don't you know that that will mark you for the year? Amen. You are marked. We are marked. Amen. And so you take what Pastor Jonathan said today, and you say, I'm a faithful dispenser. Of God's grace. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's where we are. That's where we live. Amen. God bless you. Well, hang on. Praise God. Well, you know, the scripture says to pray for one another that you may be healed. And, and Jesus said to the disciples, go preach the kingdom. And he says... Go, go tell them, every, every village you go to, say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. And then he says, freely you've received, now freely give. And so uh, let's just, uh, if there are any sick yeah, among us, God, let's, let's walk that out. Let's believe that. And Pastor, Sister Brownie, would you, would you lay hands on the sick? Is, is God's working something in you? Then you work that through them. If there's anybody that says, I need healing this morning, we're going to, you know, this is the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we've received freely, and we freely give. There's no limit. There's no holding back. There's no cost. There's no, there's no budget. It is just freely given. Amen? So if you need it, we're going to see the work of God in our own bodies. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And let me say that 
I, like I said, you've seen me since October not be able to stand during a whole service, like praise and worship. If you saw me today, there was a difference. Uh, and that wasn't an act. I had energy to dance all day. I had energy, and I think that came from me making a decision. Because your body will respond to a spiritual decision. So today, you guys up here, your body is going to respond to a spiritual decision you make today that you are not living in the kingdom of sickness and disease. You're not living in the kingdom of lack. You're not living in the kingdom of not enough, not enough health, not enough energy, not enough strength. You're not living there. That is not your kingdom. And so when hands are laid on you in the name of Jesus, strength will come into your body, health and healing, to effect a healing and a cure. Because the word says that by his stripes, by Jesus' stripes, not you will be healed, you were healed. When he died on the cross, healing was bought for you. It's been paid. And so today, the Bible says in Mark 16, that those who believe, and I'm a believer, those who believe will lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, this morning. We make a decision. We are not living in the world. We are not living in another kingdom. We are in your kingdom. And today, that kingdom works in our, our physical bodies. It's working in our physical bodies. It's working. I keep hearing this from the Spirit of the Lord, and you, this might not be you up here, but God is saying there's people that your emotions, you have given in to worldly emotions. Your emotions, you've been given into fear. You've been given into doubt and unbelief. You've been given into depression. And God says, I can deliver you from that. So you take that right now, too. If you've had some emotional things that you know God wouldn't have you thinking like that, you know better. But you've given in because it feels good, by the way. And people start treating you a little bit nicer. You know how it is. Bless your darling heart. You're healed. You're delivered from those emotions.
right now that you are the healer. You're the deliverer. You're the one who will set us on the right track. When Jesus said at Lazarus' tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. When Jesus said that word resurrection, that meant I'm the one that stands them up. Then the word says that that same power that raised that same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will quicken and make alive your mortal body. That resurrection that, that stands you up. You need to today say, I'm going to stand up. I'm standing up. I'm not going to be down anymore. I'm standing up. It's my day to stand up. Amen. Father, thank you today. Thank you. For calling us into a kingdom that is not only here on this earth, but it'll last for eternity. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in each individual person and each individual family. Lord God, we, we dedicate and consecrate this year on this first Sunday, this first day of the Lord, the Lord's day. We say this will be the Lord's year. And Lord, may we end this year when we come to the end of 2014. May we see great growth in us spiritually that each individual ones of us can say I really grew up in the Lord I left behind childish things and I have become a mature believer in Jesus name amen amen, amen. God bless you we love you we'll see you at prayer tomorrow night at 7 <laughs>